I'm a seeker. I've been seeking all my life. I've made seeking central to who I am and what I'm about. Uh, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Caspar. Uh, I'm one of many Magi that are from the area of Babylon. And uh, I want to share with you a little bit about my experience. Uh, when I say I'm a seeker, I'm a seeker of truth and of knowledge and of wisdom, even seeking to understand the great mysteries that occur in our life. And, uh, and my role as a Magi was to be an advisor with this group of Magi to the kings of our country. What did we advise our kings about? We advised them on issues of philosophy and astronomy and astrology. We studied the stars. We're great mathematicians. We use math to understand the working of the stars and what comes from the stars. Uh, we also study people's uh, religion and their culture. Uh, we study our own group of people's religion and our ancient texts that have come to us. But we also study the groups of people that are around our country and their ancient texts. And so um, one night when I was studying the stars, my favorite activity as a Magi, there was a star that appeared in the, in the night that was brighter than any star that I'd ever seen before. And I'd never seen this particular star or constellation of stars. And so I was a little bit surprised and, and began to ask questions. What, what is the star about? What's the meaning of the appearance of this star? I invited my fellow Magi to, to begin to study the star with me and to begin to ask the question, what is the meaning of this? Is this a revelation that we need to be aware of? And as we studied the star, we began to look at the ancient texts that we had access to to see if there was any information about a star that might come from some of the prophecies from those ancient texts. And we came across the Hebrew texts that had come to us from many centuries ago. You see, in our land, we, we had been in, in a great war with uh, the Jewish nation many centuries before, and our country had won, and we had captured, captured a number of their leaders, and we brought them back, both their leaders of their country, but also their religious leaders. And we, they brought with them their culture and their ancient texts, and we began to learn about their religion and about their prophecies. And one of the ancient Hebrew prophecies that they had brought spoke of a star that would come, that would announce the coming of this king that they had prophesied about. A king that would become king of kings, a king that would become the Messiah was their term. One who would eventually become the ruler of the whole world. So we began to study these ancient texts and we began to study the star and we began to try to learn what can this star tell us? Is this the star that this prophecy had been talking about? And as we began to study the star in the text, we began to ask the question, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the star that has also been about the prophecy of this coming king that would, we've heard so many centuries that would be coming out of Palestine. And so we began to ask each other, maybe we should follow the star to see if it leads us to the place where this great king had been born. And so we decided to go and we made plans and it took quite a while because there were about a dozen of, of us magi that decided to go. And we had to gather all the food. We didn't know how long we were going to be gone. We had to gather up a caravan of animals that would carry us and all of our equipment and our instruments and our, our texts that we would take with us to explore in this journey. And we had to be prepared to leave our homes, our families, our center of learning, and to go to a place that was unknown to us. And yet we felt called. We, we were seeking the mysteries that were behind this great star that had appeared in the sky. And after many months of preparation, we were finally able to begin to travel and to follow that star. And, and it was an interesting journey. It was a hard journey. It was a treacherous journey at times. We had to travel during the day. 
If you've ever traveled in the desert of the Great Crescent, it's a very difficult land to travel through. It's very hot during the day, and at night it gets very, very cold. And we would travel during the day, and we'd get to a place where we had to camp at night, and we'd have to get there before evening would set in, and we'd have to unpack all of our goods and all of our tents and set them all up, and, and our helpers and our servants would have to prepare a meal. And then at night we would study the star and the constellations and map out our path the next day. We did this continually, continually for days and then eventually months. And the star was leading us westward. It was leading us, we thought, towards Palestine, the area that the Jews lived in. You see, our journey was also somewhat treacherous. We were concerned about wild animals or thieves and robbers. We had brought great gifts to bring to this king that had been prophesied. And, and we were worried that someone might come and try to steal these treasures, these valuable gifts. We also became concerned as we were traveling as a large caravan, we came across new people groups and new countries and new lands. And, and some of the people began to be suspicious about who we were and what we were up to. There were rumors floating around that maybe we were spies that were in advance of our army that was going to come behind us. And so we tended not to stay anywhere too long because we didn't want people to get too anxious and we moved on. And so over many, many months, we eventually did come towards Palestine where the star led us. And we traversed over the eastern mountains of Palestine and we came over the last mountain and, and at the other side of the mountain was this great city, their capital, called Jerusalem. It had a great wall that had been built around it, and we had heard that their king, King Herod, had built up that wall quite a bit. And we could see from the mountain the great temple that he was helping to reestablish in Jerusalem. And we could also see the great palace that he had built for himself and for his family. And so we came down the side of the mountain, and we entered the gates of this large city, Jerusalem. And we began to mingle amongst the people. We began to ask them the question. We said, hey, we, we came from the east. We saw a star arise in the east and we've come to seek this king of kings, the one that has been prophesied by your prophets of your texts of, of ancient days. And we asked them, do you know where this king is that's been prophesied about? And we thought maybe they would have the answers. This is the Jewish people that maybe they had been seeking the Messiah like we had that maybe they had been paying attention to the star and maybe they had discovered where this great king, this Messiah, had been born. But as we talked to the people, they didn't seem to know that much. They seemed to be disinterested. They just were going around the reg about their regular business and they weren't too interested in what we were asking about. They seemed to not know anything about where this king of kings had been born or to, to know that maybe it had happened just recently. And so we became to, began to become frustrated Eventually, one of, one of the people in our party said, well, maybe we ought to go to the palace and, and talk to the advisors of their king, and maybe they might know where the king is at. Maybe he's been born in the palace, and that's where he's at. And so well, that afternoon, we went to the palace, and we met with some of King Herod's advisors, and we told them our story about how we'd come to Jerusalem, how we saw this great star in the sky, and we had been reading their ancient texts, and we had heard about this king that had been prophesied about and. We'd come to see if that star was announcing the birth of this great king, their Messiah. And their advisors had said that they had heard some of those prophecies and that those things had been known for a number of centuries, but, but they weren't sure that that is the case today. They didn't know about any specific child that had been born that was speaking of that prophecy. But they said that they thought that Herod would want to know about what we had learned, and so they said we should go meet with Herod, and they arranged for us to meet with the king. And we went in and we met with the king, and 
And we uh, spent time with him and we shared with him as well our story, our journey of seeking and following the star and the story of the prophecy of their, their king of kings. And we asked him if he knew anything about the birth of this child. And he said he was not aware of any child that had been born that, that would fulfill this prophecy. But he said he too was interested. He too wanted to learn more about this experience. And he wanted to know about the star and when the star had appeared and, and how we had arrived there. He had so many questions. He said that he'd like to spend some time with his religious leaders, with their chief priests and with their teachers of their law. And he said he wanted to explore these things with them and maybe they had some ideas. They studied the prophecies so much more than than he did. And so he said, come back tomorrow evening and give me time to meet with our religious leaders and see what I can learn. And so we came back the next evening and we met with Herod again and he had had a chance to be with their religious leaders and he shared with me about how their leaders shared all the things that they knew about the prophecies, prophesying about this coming Messiah. And that one of their chief priests had spoken specifically about a prophet from Israel that was named Micah. We didn't have any of Micah's writings in Babylon, but, but they talked about how Micah had prophesied that this coming Messiah would come out of this village that's called Bethlehem. And that this village was not very significant, but, but he, say, he explained to them, he said that one of the greatest kings of Israel had been born in Bethlehem, King David. And we had heard of King David. We knew of him. He was Israel's greatest king. And his son Solomon, we knew of those kings. And he said, well, this prophet Micah had prophesied that Messiah was going to come out of the same little village that King David did, out of Bethlehem. And he said, well, maybe you need to go to Bethlehem and and look around and see if you can discover if there's a child that's been born there that, that has been promised to be the Messiah. And he said, I'd like to know about that because I'd like to come too and, and worship that king and to help him prepare for his great kingdom. And as we talked and met with King Herod these couple of times, we, we came into the meetings, we knew with a little bit of apprehension, we knew about King Herod and his reputation. We knew he was a very powerful king and a ruler uh, that he had taken over control of this part of the Roman Empire called Palestine many years ago, and that he had been in control for many years, that he had built up the great walls, he was building up this massive temple, that he had built a massive palace. We'd heard, too, that he had built fortresses up and down the frontier of the Roman Empire in Palestine. He was a very powerful person. We'd also heard, too, rumors that that when people, when he felt threatened by certain people or groups of people, that he would throw them in jail. That he's even killed some people that he felt threatened by in his, his, his rulership. We didn't hear, even heard stories that he, he had many wives and he had many children by these many wives and that some of his children had grown up. They were even adults now and that there were stories that some of his sons had, had uh, conspired to take over the kingdom. At least that's what he had thought was happening. And so what did he do? He killed his own sons because of fear that they would take his throne away from him. He killed one of his wives because he felt like she was conspiring with their children to do that. He was ruthless. There were stories going around Jerusalem that were told to us about King Herod. In fact, one of the stories was is that Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire, had a saying about Herod. He said it was a pig in Herod's family was more fortunate than to be born a son of King Herod. So we were a little bit anxious, wondering if all this talking about a king to be born would make Herod nervous. But he seemed to be really genuine and intent, wanting to know, know more about this king and to know where he had been born. 
And so he advised us to go to Bethlehem. We learned it was only a few miles from Jerusalem, about six or seven miles down the road. And so as we left his palace early that evening, we decided to go down that road that night. And as we left the walled gates of the city, and we looked up in the sky, there appeared again that bright star. And it was brighter than it had ever been, we felt like, before. And it felt like it was closer to earth than it had ever been. In fact, it was, it was in the same direction that Bethlehem was in. And so we followed that star to Bethlehem. And we came into this small village. It wasn't very large. But as we came into the village, the star was so close to the ground and it appeared to be in one area of Bethlehem. And so we went to that part of the village. And, and as we came to that area, the star seemed to be shining on one very small and humble home. It was on the edge of Bethlehem. So we got off of our animals and we came to the door of this small home and we knocked on the door and there was a man of the house that came to the door and we explained just briefly that we were foreigners from a different land and that we'd been following a star looking for one who had been promised to be the Messiah, not only of the Jews, but also of the whole world. And we asked if we could come in and tell this family our story. And they invited us in as we noticed the man. He was very strong and you could tell he had just great muscles and he was very rough and we noticed he was wearing what looked like a carpenter's apron and he had rough hands. He had wood shavings all over his clothing. It appeared certainly that he was a carpenter. And as we came into their home, we learned his name was Joseph. And we were introduced to his wife. Her name was Mary. And, and while Joseph was strong and rough and, and, and very uh, just a man. Mary was seemed to be very petite and small, and we were surprised that they had a young toddler, and so she was obviously a mother, and, and yet she seemed so young. She seemed to be only 16 or 17 years old, and, and yet very humble and sweet in spirit and gentle. And they invited us to come into their home, and we some of us were able to sit down, but some of us had to stand. There, there wasn't a whole lot of room, and And so we began to share with them our story, but we also noticed they had a toddler. He looked to be about one and a half, maybe two years old. And he seemed to be a little bit apprehensive. I mean, we were strangers, and we're from a foreign land, and he was kind of peeking behind his mom's dress, holding on to her hem, and looking around, wondering who we are and what was going on. And so we began to explain to them why we had come to their home, that that we were magi from another land, from Babylon, and that we'd been studying the star. We've been reading ancient Hebrew text about the, the prophecy of a coming king of the Jews and, and that we had followed the star and the star had led us to Jerusalem and then eventually to them, to Bethlehem and to their home. And they were amazed by the story that we told to them. But they weren't too surprised. They tended to look at each other when the story was over almost with some kind of assurance or affirmation that what we were telling them was affirming something in their family. And then we asked them, could, you, could they tell us their story? And Mary began to tell us her part of the story. And she said that uh, just a couple of years ago that her and Joseph were engaged to be married. And in the midst of that engagement, an angel of their God came to them, came to her in a dream at night, and that this angel told her that God had chosen her to be the one who was going to bring his son, the Messiah, into the world. And that God, by his divine nature, uh, allowed her to, come, to be pregnant with this child. She'd never been with a man. She was a virgin. And she said it, she was astounded, but she was willing to be his servant. And we were amazed by her story. And then Joseph chimed in. He said when he found out that his fiancée was pregnant, he thought everything was caving in. And he said, 
I was about ready to quietly divorce her. And then one night, an angel of God appeared to me as well. And he confirmed the story that Mary was telling to me. And, and he told me that God had chosen me to be the one who would become the earthly father to this son, to this child. And that we were to name him Jesus. And, and he said that I was to marry my fiance, and not to abandon her and not to give up on her, but to take her in and to take the child in as well. And they told this amazing story how they ended up going from Nazareth all the way down to this little village named Bethlehem that Joseph's ancestry was from Bethlehem and that the Roman Empire had taken a census and that that forced them to come to Bethlehem when she was full-term pregnant. And the, the night that they had arrived, there was no place for them to sleep because everybody was coming to Bethlehem for the census. And they ended up being provided with a very small animal shelter. And at that night that Mary ended up giving birth to their son in this very humble circumstances. And while they were with their child that night, they said this amazing thing happened that a bunch of shepherds started showing up at the animal shelter and they began to tell them this amazing story about how an angel had appeared to the shepherds in the field announcing the birth of the Messiah and that they were to go to Bethlehem and find the child and worship him. And they said this amazing thing that every step of the journey as they began to question God, that God would do something to confirm that he was working through them and that this was his plan for them and for the world. And they told us that our story now even brought confirmation again, that their son was a gift from God and that he was being called to become the Messiah of Israel. And we were amazed. Amazing stories, and it confirmed for us this long journey of seeking that we had been on, seeking to see if the answer to this amazing star was that it was announcing the birth of a Messiah. And and yet we were surprised because we came to Jerusalem. We thought surely he would be in Jerusalem, the capital, the great city of this land. But he wasn't there. He's in this little town called Bethlehem. But their stories were such confirmation that God, their God, was at work in and through their family, and that he had allowed us to come into give reverence and honor to this child that he was preparing to become the king of all kings. We explained to them that we had brought gifts for the child and for the family, and we asked if we could go outside and go get the gifts and bring them in to give to the child. They said, oh, certainly we could do that. And so we went outside and we brought our gifts in, and we brought a a box that was full of gold for the child. And we bent down and we gave the child named Jesus the box of gold and his mom helped him to open up the box. And as they opened up the box and looked inside, the, the child was amazed at the brightness and the color of the gold. And he began to play with it. And, and then eventually he ended up giving the gold to his mom because he wanted to play with the box. He was more interested in the box than he was the gold. And we thought, oh, it's just like our kids when they were that age too. You know, the toddlers were so much more interested in the, in the vessel than they were whatever the gift was inside. And so he began to put all his little treasures, his trinkets, his little wood carvings that his dad had obviously given to him. And this became his little treasure box. And we laughed about that. And then we ended up bending over and we were giving him the jars of the frankincense and the myrrh. These amazing, powerful fragrances that were so expensive and such a great treasure. And... And his mom held on to them and and let him hold them with her hands. And he wanted to play with the jars as well, but his mom wouldn't let him play with the jars. She was afraid he was going to drop them and and break it and spill out the frankincense and the myrrh. But it was such a joy to be with them that evening. And we told them that we had come not only to give him gifts, but also to pay reverence and honor and, and to worship this 
Messiah, this King of all kings. And so we asked if we could bow down on the, and kneel on the ground and, and we could pay respects to him and we could worship him. And the family said, certainly you can do that. And so we got down on our hands and our knees and we paid respects and we honored and we worshiped this child and we thought about the amazing journey that we had been on. That we felt that the God of Israel had led us on and led us to this child and this family. And then we asked the family as we got done, we said, can we, can we bless the child? Can we pray to your God that he would protect your child? And they allowed us to do that. And so we laid hands on his shoulders and on his head and we blessed him. We blessed the family and we prayed to their God that their God would protect him and, and that he would raise up a great king. And then we had been there long enough and it was time for us to go. And so we left the home that evening so thankful for our opportunity that we had found the, the end of the journey and the end of the star and knew that, that somehow their God was at work in all of this. We ended up camping outside Bethlehem that night. And, and as we slept that night, there was an angel who appeared to, to the Magi, to all of us, in a dream that evening. And he had warned us in that dream not to go back to Jerusalem, not to go back to Herod, that Herod was not a safe king. That Herod had bad intentions towards this young child. And so we made the decision to go way out of the way and to avoid going back through Jerusalem, back to our homeland. And we traveled almost a whole other year to get back home. But I can honestly say to you that it was the most uh, incredible journey of my lifetime. And while I have sought knowledge and truth and understanding of the great mysteries, at no point in my life did I feel like I was on a, great, a greater journey than that journey that we were making following the star and trying to discover this promised Messiah. We were so thankful, and I was so grateful, knowing that, that God had invited us, distant foreigners, to be a part of this story that he was preparing through his people and through his son. Would you stand? Thank you. 
return to you not as Caspar, but as Pastor Wes. And I just want to come back and I want to invite us to consider a few things from this story in light of what we hear and see in the midst of the story and things for us to reflect on and ponder as we move through the season of Advent and we prepare again to celebrate the gift of Christ at Christmas. One of the things that sticks out to me in the midst of this story is just the absolute vulnerability of God's Son, Jesus, and of this family that God has placed him into. A family of very little means. And they're in the, in the very shadow of Jerusalem and of this great king, a powerful, ruthless king, King Herod, who will stop at nothing to protect his kingdom and his kingship. We know that he's, he had killed his own sons because of a perceived threat, his own family. We learn just a little bit later in the next passage that that when the Magi avoided going back to Jerusalem and he realized he had been duped by them, what did he do? He took the soldiers. He knew that the child had to be two years or younger. Took his soldiers, went into Bethlehem, and he killed every child, every male child, two years and younger in the town of Bethlehem. The guy would stop at nothing to protect his kingdom. And yet in the midst of all of this, in the vulnerability that God had placed his family in, that God, sovereign God, was protecting and caring for his own child in a very vulnerable position. We see it even in the midst of the story. I mean, he warns the Magi not to go back to Jerusalem, not to go back to King Herod. The very next passage, he comes to Joseph in a dream, and he tells Joseph it's not safe to be in Bethlehem any longer, and the family leaves, and they flee to Egypt just before Herod comes. And then to think about that God invited these Magi from a foreign land over a thousand miles away, and they end up journeying all the way to this little town of Bethlehem, and they bring gifts of treasure to worship the king. And most people believe 
that probably those gifts of treasure were what sustained Jesus and his family while they were foreigners in a foreign land. Think about it again, the sovereign care for, of God in the midst of a vulnerable and at-risk situation. But also to think again that it's not God's care just for his own child, that God promises his care for us as well as his children. I think about the, the statement that Paul says in Romans where he talks about that there's nothing in this world, nothing in this world or beyond this world, that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise to know that the God of the universe, the God who is the creator, is also a God who cares and loves us. The second thing I want us to ponder from this story is that the Gentile magi were seekers. They were seeking. They were seeking truth. They were seeking knowledge. They probably didn't know how much truth they were going to discover, and they maybe never fully realized all that this was about. But they were so intentional as they sought. Think about it. They they see this star in the sky. They study ancient texts. They end up making a decision to leave their family and homes and risk their lives and be gone for two years. They were willing to sacrifice so much in order to discover if this was true and if this was real. And then think about even just six or seven miles down the road in the large city of Jerusalem, the capital, you've got the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, who knew all the texts. They knew about the promises of the Messiah. And yet they weren't seeking him as intently as the Magi were. Think about King Herod, this king. He had the opportunity to come and to worship the child. And he chooses. They're more, they're more focused on a position of authority and leadership and power than they are in seeking, worshiping the true Messiah. I think about the words that Jesus uses later in his life where he says, those who seek me, will find me. And the inverse of that is probably true as well. Those who do not seek me will not find me. So in the midst of that part of the story, I want to invite us, how are we doing in terms of our focus and our process of seeking God and intentionally desiring to follow Christ? You know, it's so easy for busyness to invade our lives and to push out our desire to seek God. Especially true during Christmas. I mean, all the stuff that happens around Christmas, it's so easy for us to be distracted by those things and to get our focus off of worshiping the Messiah, the gift of God's Son. I think this is a reminder to us, don't miss the thing that's the most important, especially in the midst of this season. And then the last thing I want us to just reflect upon is that the Magi sacrificed. They were willing to give of themselves in order to worship Jesus. And in some way, I think Matthew is teaching us through this story that, that he's teaching us that, that Jesus' arrival in history in order to bring salvation for the sins of his people is so incredible that surely it requires of us a response that we give ourselves back to this God, to our God, who is so willing to give of himself for us. And I'm awestruck when I think about and I consider just the immensity of of God's generosity and Jesus' coming and the incarnation and the gift of the crucifixion. And I think that's the pattern, that's the model that calls me to a lifestyle of giving, of being focused in that. Some amazing things to ponder. So I just want us to think about these things as we leave today. And so I want to invite you to stand for the benediction, for the closing thought.
So many amazing things that we can see God's hand in the midst of this story. But I want to close with this verse. It's very familiar, but I think it's so powerful, especially this time of year. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So my invitation for all of us this morning is to seek the one whom God has given to us and to go in his peace and in his grace. Amen.